1: to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is
0: not about that scoreboard out there.
2: This is a chance a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal.
0: We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again.
2: Your defense
0: has got to be better. We've no We've doubt tonight.
2: Great moments are born from great opportunity.
1: My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to the Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better our great coach on this episode is andy friend andy is an australian rugby coach and former player who is currently head coach of the irish side conant he was previously head coach of the australia sevens team the brumbies in super rugby in australia English club Harlequins and Cannon Eagles and Suntory Sungliath in the Japanese Top League. He also coached the Australian Under-21 team to the final of the 2005 World Championships and was an assistant to Eddie Jones within the Wallaby setup for the 2002 Tri-Nation Series and 2003 Rugby World Cup. Andy is an articulate and calm coach who speaks with authenticity and simplicity on the fundamentals of elite-level leadership. He has spent both his childhood and adult life traveling the world, and this gives him a deep appreciation of the needs that unite people and how you can communicate emotion and intent despite language barriers. He's the type of person you feel immediately at ease with, and his ability to find a balance between the leadership and care for his players and staff and family life also makes him a good role model for all of us who try to juggle the competing priorities in our life. Some of the key highlights of this interview for me were how great coaches have a strong sense of purpose that both motivates and guides them, and this is matched with a natural inquisitiveness that fuels their ongoing development. How being sacked as a coach helped him realise the need of not imposing your own values on the team, but rather co-creating the right team values for that organisation. And he's learning around not trying to do everything, but rather to invest time in building, in his words, the bank account of trust with his athletes, and how this translates to him spending 70% of his time working with individuals within the team. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And while you're there, if you would like to help our podcast, which is fully independent and free from ads, you can follow the link to our Patreon page where we offer exclusive content to our supporters. And now, please enjoy our interview with Andy Friend.
0: The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: So Andy Friend, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Paul. No, we're very excited to have someone, an Australian. But in Ireland joining us today, a really simple question to begin with. Could you tell us where you are? And I know it's only 9am, but could you tell us what you've been up to this morning?
2: I'm in Galway on the west coast of Ireland. We played a game last night against Munster, the last game of the the 2019-20 season. We were absolutely touched up, 49 to 12. So this morning I spent trying to relive that game and look through it and try and find the Any positives I can out of it, but also it's the last game of the season, so we've got to review it at midday today with the rest of the team. So just trying to get on top of that, mate. we are lucky to get your
1: time given it's the end of the season. So we do appreciate it, especially after what sounds like a pretty ordinary evening. I'll try to make this a little bit more entertaining for you. Thank you. Andy, I'd like to start just by taking you back, actually, because you've had first-hand experience of some great coaches, Eddie Jones, David Brockhoff, Matt Williams, Bob Dwyer, and that's just to name a few. But what do you think these great coaches do differently from the others?
2: Listen, I have been very fortunate. I've worked with some great coaches. I, I think the great coaches have a real sense of their own purpose and what they think is the right way to do something. At the same time, I also think they're inquisitive and you never stop growing as a coach. I reckon you've got to continue to stretch yourself and and to challenge the way you think and the way you do things. But I think first and foremost, you've got to have your style. And, and if I think back to those men individually, they all had their own style, which was quite different to each other, but it was their style. And that to me is one of the key things you need to be a great coach. Andy, you had a really
1: nomadic upbringing those were I think the way you described it yourself Canberra to Melbourne then to Switzerland and England and I'm wondering what elements of this life experience have found their way into your coaching style or as you just described it your coaching purpose
2: yeah I was really fortunate as a young man my father worked in the department of finance and and we moved around the world which you know back in the 70s 80s it was done but it probably wasn't done as prevalent as it is now although in the current period it's not done at all is it but We're exposed to a whole range of different cultures and and ways of of living. Again, at the time, you don't understand probably what that's doing for you, but it it is opening up your eyes to, to new ways of doing things. So if I take some of those learnings out of what I learned as a young bloke doing that into my current coaching, I'm forever accepting of what's there. I don't come in and prejudge and I don't come in and attempt to know that I know a culture because I'm very familiar with having to move to new cities and new new countries in order to learn and respect the new culture. So that certainly helps me. And I think it's also helped me to just to work with different people. You know, we're all diverse in our own way, some ethnic, some religious, some political, some family oriented, whatever it is, but we've all got our own way of doing things. And I, I think as a young bloke growing up with all that different change, it allowed me just to accept that, that that's the norm. And I think it's one of the great great Stephen Covey quotes that I really believe in is is seek to understand before being understood. And and I never walk in anywhere and try and say, here's what I'm about to do. I I sit back and I try and observe and listen and and work out the culture of the place and what's important. And then once I try and understand that, I can maybe share some of my views upon that. So I think as a young bloke, that's what it allowed me to do.
1: I'd like to build on that actually by just winding back a little bit to 2011. And you were with the Brumbies and your contract was terminated. And when you were reflecting on that situation, you said, in the end, I've got to take some responsibility for it. I'm very values driven and I pushed some values into the team rather than allowing the team to come up with their own values. Could you maybe talk about the changes you've made to your style and the way you talk about values and behaviors from that moment onwards?
2: Yeah, and it was a great lesson. It you know, it was a it was a so it's a tough lesson because I'm going to lose your job, but there was a lot of things transpired in me losing my job there. But as I said, I definitely, as a young coach, I came in and I said, here's here's what I believe are the five key values we should live and and they're good values. The issue was they were anti-friends friend, values. They weren't the values of the team. So my great learn out of that, I'm still very values-driven. I still have my own values, but I don't try and enforce them upon a group. It has to be the group that finds its own way and what tends to happen is that the group if you're the leader of the group and you live the values that you you talk about that comes through in everything you do so they pick up on that people are, they're smart and they, they work that out so you don't actually have to verbalize them but when you're sitting down to talk about the culture of the group or the way we want to be seen or the way we do things around here what's important to you fellas they will tend to come up with the same things that you believe in anyway because they've seen you operate and they see the way you move and and what you stand for. So my learn out of that was don't come in and say, here's what we're going to do. Come in and say, right, what's important? Seek to understand. And then try and work with the people, the, the players and the other staff to build a culture that fits within the boundaries of what I think is acceptable. And I call it the bandwidth of acceptance. There is a bandwidth of acceptance for me, and it's reasonably broad. Um, don't step outside of that. Like if they were going to throw a value in there that I just didn't agree with, well, we'd have a discussion. But more times they're not going to do that in the leadership group because they're leaders. And so a long answer there, Paul, but I suppose the key thing was don't seek to push things upon people. Let them find their way and work with them
1: i read actually that when you got to conant you took this approach you got everyone off site i think including the broader club 90 plus people you got them together and you got them to commit to something called the promise and there was selected behaviors below that could you share some details about this promise and, and how you created it
2: yeah i'm in my third year i'm just about to start my third year now of, of my Connet contract and when I came in, we did that. We did that initially just with the tighter group, the team, and then in the second year we, we expanded it out a little bit. But kind of have their own values too, which are, which are really strong And its ambition, belief and community. They're the things that they really believe in. So as long as, and that was their bandwidth, and I had a very good chat with the CEO, Willie Ruan, and I said, Willie, I, I really want to put some focus on this cultural piece. And he said, Friendly, as long as it sits underneath that, that banner, which it did, that was the driving force for Comet Rugby. So when we then went as a, as a collective group of players and, and academy and wider staff, we had a good chat around, right, how do we fit underneath that banner and what's important to us in terms of a promise, growing together, driven to succeed, as well as the behaviours that will live that. And just through discussion and challenging each other and getting different perspectives, we came up with the key behaviours which we've then built upon again this year going into the new season so I think the important thing with culture everyone has a culture you need to know it's a culture that is the right culture for the group and because you do one cultural meeting doesn't mean you've now got a culture it's an everyday thing and it continues to to change and evolve over time and the more time you spend on that in my view the stronger it becomes and the stronger your club becomes. And the more you start to see that in the way you play and the way you do everything. So this is about to enter our third year. It's been a step-by-step process. We've got more growth to go in that area, but I can say honestly, we're starting to build a really, really powerful culture that I think will transfer into wins, which is what we're about as a pro rugby team.
1: You talked at the start about doing a review today of the game, and I guess it's the end of the season, so you'll also do a season-end review. Will you use that frame in the way that you give feedback to the players about their performance?
2: Yeah, we always do. So we have what we call, so we've got the cultural piece, which is the way we just do things. It's the way we do things around here. We then have our on-field big rocks, we call them. So attack in our defence, they're based upon two or three key things that we want to always see. So, for example, in our attack, we got on the ball and off the ball. It's about going forward and finding space. So whenever we're reviewing a performance, it's all around that. Whenever we're reviewing a defensive performance, it's all around that. Whenever we're reviewing a cultural performance, it's all around the four key behaviours which we've currently got and the four key behaviours that came out of that promise, and that's evolved through time too, is number one, challenge and be challenged. Number two, prepare to win, so do whatever it takes to win. Uh, Number three is to know your we the boys say, know your shit. So know what you do, but know what you do and therefore perform it. And the last one is, don't be a dick. And again, that's the players' words. So again, it's not anti Friend's words. These are the players' words. So those four things, whenever we're doing anything, we say, do you know your stuff? And are you doing it? Are you being a dope or a dick? Did you prepare to win? And are you prepared to have the challenging conversations? And be to challenge and be challenged? And pretty much that covers virtually everything that we do on a daily basis. And if we see it. We call it out and we say, brilliant, your preparation is outstanding or oh, great conversation, well done for pulling up on that or oh, great conversation, well done for rewarding that effort that you just saw. Conversely, we see something that, that didn't happen correctly. We say, hey, that's not what we do around here, don't do that. So we're forever challenging that and referring to that and bringing that to life because it can't just, a culture can't just be walls, words on a wall. It has to be something that you live.
1: I think, Andy, just listening to you and reading your background, I think the fact that you've travelled and coached in Japan, England, Ireland, Australia, has created this focus on simplicity of language and simplicity of ideas. I really like the idea of these big rocks. Could you tell us how you've used that concept and that simplicity to drive improved performance?
2: One of my greatest learnings was when I was in Japan. So I moved to Japan as a would have been coaching for in my fifth year of coaching and you arrive in Japan and again as a fifth year coach you think you know most of the things that are going on. You don't, you've got no idea. Upon reflection, you've got no idea. But worse still, you got no language. I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak Japanese. I now speak a version of Japanese, and it's a version that allows me to get the simple things said. So Masugu runs straight, Hidati, Migi, left, right, Chuchu, concentrate. So your language becomes very direct and very to the point because you can't waffle. In our mother's tongue, we can waffle, and we, we often lose the meaning of a message just through this fluff that that sits around a message but when you don't know the language you just have to tell it how it is concentrate well done get quicker move off the deck the discipline whatever it was became very matter of fact and I've definitely kept that in my coaching since and have paired it back to try and keep keep the message as simple as possible so that's what we're attempting to do whenever we're trying to communicate I think the other big thing for all people not rugby players but most people learn more through vision and doing than they do through listening. So why do we stand up there and just talk? They're not learning as much as they are unless we're showing them something or we're actually getting out there and doing that. So we attempt to as best we can whenever we are communicating with a team, we've always got vision there and we always then tend to move straight out to the field and try and put in place what it was we just practiced or what we just talked about, sorry.
1: Can I um, take you back to Japan for a minute? Because I I read, actually, that you said even if I worked 24-7, I'd still find things to do. I was kidding myself, trying to think I was going to get it all done. And that's when I started to prioritise the key things. And I'd be really interested to hear what are the key things you would advise coaches to let go of, particularly rugby coaches?
2: I think, again, as a young coach, you want to try and solve the world. You want to try and fix everything, you know. And I threw myself into every little bit of detail around a breakdown, around a line-out, around scrum, around attack play, defence play. And I took my eye off the the ball, which was, you know, to me coaching's all about relationships. It has to be. It has to be about building this, I call it the bank account, of trust with your your coaches and and with your players. But if you become a keyboard warrior and you keep your head in the keyboard and you don't build those relationships, you never get to the end of it because we know, mate, there's so many things going on in a rugby game. And there's so many interpretations of what's just happened. So my whole thing was this, and it actually leads to the philosophy, my coaching philosophy, know the game. I know the game. i played the game. I've coached it for years. I stay up to date with the game. It is forever changing, but I stay up to date with it. So I know the game, but I coach the individual. Think about the individual. Keep thinking about the individual. So probably my time at the moment, not probably, my time at the moment, I would be spending 70% of it with the individual, and that's every individual player and 30% of it looking at the footy and because I've got other good coaches around me now that, that support me in doing that. So I spend more of my time now on the individual than I do on, on the game itself and the detail. So that definitely helped me. And probably the last thing with that whole priority of things, you've still got to function as a human being yourself. So you can spend, if you wanted to, 24-7, but you're no good to anyone. You haven't had, you're not your own person. So I try and, well, I, I don't try. I do, I break up my day and there's definitely some me time in there. So what do I need? What does Andy Friend need to function at his best? I need to exercise. I need to walk. I need to listen. I need to read, listen to podcasts. I need to have my own space. So I give myself that. And it's normally two hours a day, but I get up quite early off in the morning or I come home and I go for a late walk or or get on a bike or do something. I have my my wife time. Um, My wife's here. Our two boys are back in Australia, but we have some quality time every single day that we put aside just for us where the phones go off and we just have our moments. And then I have the work time. And it depends upon where you are during the year, but we're about to walk into a, a week of, of breaks. So there's going to be a lot more me time and wife time than news work time, which is a nice a nice week. It's about to happen. But when you're in the middle of a season, the wife time and the me time might shorten down a little bit, but you're going to do more work. But as we, you, know, you go through the different stages of the season, that changes. Probably the last thing on that too, sleep. We say to our players, sleep. But so often coaches don't sleep. I've just finished reading the Matthew Walker book, Why We Sleep, which for anyone who, who wants to improve their life, have a read of that. But I give myself a minimum of eight hours sleep every night, a minimum. Very rarely go beyond eight and a half. But my discipline around going to bed and then early and then getting up early is, is, is really strong. So you're you forming some good habits. And But I learned that because I didn't do that before. So your
1: you're very family oriented. it comes through in a lot of the interviews and, and things that i read about you you've also got great discipline was there an event or a person in your life that helped you form these routines these beliefs
2: i probably can't single anyone out what i can say and i didn't realize until you know you get a little bit older that my norm was was brilliant so my norm was a mum and dad two brothers um it wasn't money Because mum and dad were middle class, but we didn't need for anything. We always had, you know, you had clothes and you had, you had food. So we've never we've lived a very privileged life for that. But it's never an extravagant life. But but it's only when you get later on when you meet other people you realise that's not the norm for a lot. Don't have parents still together. May not have siblings. You know, may have different situations. So I suppose. As you go through life, you realise that what was presented to and I call it the lottery of life. My lottery, I won the lot- lotto there, born to great parents, and the family's always been really important to us. So that's what we've attempted to do, Kerry and I, with our two boys. My view on life is if, if we all presented or produced better offspring than, than we are, world's well, a pretty good spot. So that's what we've attempted to do, and we've been put in the pudding a few years' time there.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Can I take you back again to the teacher who, when you were 16, asked you that great question around what you wanted to do with your life. And it led you to articulate, I wouldn't mind a future career in rugby. But I wanted to ask you, based on the fact that you were asked this great question that set you on a new journey in a different direction what are some of the most challenging questions that your players have asked you over the years
2: there's a range like we've if I think just on a weekly basis we're forever you know if you think about a coach's week we have a squad of 44 players we select 15 every weekend so there's virtually two-thirds of your squad aren't getting selected and the questions they ask is why why am I not in? What have I got to do? How am I going to do it? So I'm a big believer in the what, why, how. I'll tell you what what you need to do. I'll tell you why you need to do it. I'll tell you how I think you should do it. So we get those questions all the time. And the ability to try and communicate that to a young bloke who's quite emotional at the time can be tricky. But again, over years of practice with it, I'd like to think got a reasonable ability to get that message across don't always get it across but attempt to try and get that across so that's the that's on a weekly basis but then you've also got the things that life throw at you and people coming in and sharing with you some things that have happened at home and what what should I do about this or career decisions um, some mental health decisions some mental health things that that happen so there's an array of things that go on a yearly an annual basis um, every year you can probably pick you're going, you know you're going to have a conversation around someone either wanting to separate from a partner or a, a spouse. You're gonna have someone who's, you know, a loved one's passed away and, and they're gonna ask you how to deal with that. You're gonna have people who are moving on and need need some advice on that, as well as then just the weekly stuff of selection or non selection. And you've normally always got something with a with a mental health or well being issue that you're gonna to need to deal with. So there's a myriad of things, mate, and they you never know when they're gonna pop up either. They just pop up, but I think the most important thing is you've got to listen. You know, go back to the, what I said at the front end there, Coaching's about relationships. You've got to be able to build that trust that someone's able to come to you and talk and then you've got to sit back and listen and listen to what their situation is as empathetically as you can. Listen, seek to understand what they're doing and then if they want advice, guide them. If they don't, just listen. Just be, a, be an ear for them. But that's one of the things I love about the job, just the diversity in what we do. People just think we're the bloke out there with a, with a whistle. That would be, honestly, now that would be 5% of my, my week. The rest of it's just dealing with people.
1: And how do you debrief from that? I mean, that's a lot of energy. I don't know. That's a lot of thoughts. It's a lot of feedback for you to hang on to. Is there a way you find of sort of dealing with it, working through it, letting it go, I guess, so you can get home and have your own time and find that line into your personal life?
2: Yeah, and that and that's why... Previously, I said, I need my my me time, I've got my me time. And I do that in a a range of different ways. I'll do it just being by myself and processing and reflecting. And sometimes you you reflect upon a conversation you've had and I didn't get that right. So I just pick up the phone, I ring, I ring the person back. I said, geez, I... Reflection there, I didn't didn't share that. And once I have put that to bed, I can actually have the capacity to let that go. Sometimes it's about talking to a, a third party about it, respecting confidentiality the whole time. But if I say to somebody, oh, I might need to seek more advice on this. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, we are. Or yes, I am. Well, then I will go and seek more advice on that. So just talking that through with somebody. Sometimes just bring it at home and, and sharing it with my wife. Not necessarily names, but you go through. This happened today, and this is my think, thought process. What do you reckon? She's a great confidant for me. She, you know, she, I think, Kerry does in particular, but I think women see things differently as well. And certainly, people that don't work in your environment the whole time and aren't swamped by the full-time nature of what it is that we do, they can see a, a different thing than what you often see. So, I, I do share that a lot of that sort of stuff. Again, always respecting confidentiality. So, but I do. I, I go back to my sleep thing. They did a sleep study on me about five years ago. I fall asleep within two minutes every night. I sleep 95% of the night. I don't move. So I have a capacity to be able to park things, get a good night's sleep, get up and go again. And I learned that in Japan, actually. And that was probably one of the best things I picked up from there.
1: That's a great skill to have, actually. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening who are very envious. Could I talk to you a little bit about errors? Because I think you've got a really simple clean way of describing the three types of errors you see and how you help athletes deal with them.
2: Yeah, well, I think before we even get onto that, I, I think the way you view failure is massive in terms of how successful your life is going to be. To me, failure is just an opportunity to learn. And if you see failure through those eyes, you welcome challenge and you welcome the opportunity to stretch yourself. So we've been working really hard with getting our players to do that. You know, you'll never play a perfect game of footy. You'll never lead a perfect life. You won't. It's not happen. It's not a fairy tale. It doesn't happen. So accept that there is going to be disappointment and there is going to be error. The three errors that I see on a rugby field, first one is a skill error. So if we have a player who is attempting to perform a skill and doesn't get it right, that's fine. We just now, now know that there's a breaking point in your Ability to to execute that skill, whatever that skill is, at this level. Now, what caused that? Was it fatigue? Was it lack of body position? Was it lack of ball control? Was it was it lack of tackle technique? Whatever it was, but we can work on that. So we try and identify with the player. This is what happened. That's cool. We'll work on that. So we need to now put you in those positions more often and try and build the skill now to get to that new level. Second one is a knowledge error. So you were meant to be here. Um, were you aware of that? No, I wasn't. I was aware of that, but at the time, I was—I just wasn't thinking. Sweet. So it's not—it's not part of your DNA yet. So we'll work with really you on that too. Either you don't know the knowledge, or you did know it, but under this condition, it broke. So the other thing with that, though, what we've learned is we've got a few players within our squad who are dyslexic. So we need to educate them differently. We can't just sit up the front there and sit at the front end. We—you you know, don't—we don't sit up the front there and just talk. We're forever showing vision and then getting out and doing but we have identified those players who have learning difficulties and we work with them in a different way but if you've got a skill error or a knowledge error we can work with you on that it's not a bad thing we'll work with you on that the last error is an attitude and that's the one where that's not acceptable you own your attitude my message to the players is your job is to turn up today with an attitude that wants you to be better than what you were yesterday and if you can do that Right, we've got a great relationship but if you choose not to the attitude's not right there's not really a place here for you and we're at the point there where we just say listen just prefer you leave the training field doesn't get aggressive doesn't get angry just listen that's not the right attitude just hop off the field change that for us and you're welcome back on
1: andy you coached harlequins in 2005 and you helped them get promotion up to the english premiership and a place in the heineken cup and you've said that your time there was a great lesson in sticking to what you know is right and doing the basics so i'm wondering if we took the andy friend now this articulate passionate coach with a lifetime of learning and still a long way to go what advice would you be giving to yourself back in 1995 when you started your coaching career
2: it would go back to i suppose when you asked me the first question of the day which is around what are the great coaches and what are they doing and it would be know your purpose and know you i say to the players what's your weapon and what's your work on so My weapon, in my view, after 26 years of coaching is relationships. That's what I feel that I do best. So once you know your weapon, I say, well, become world-class at that. So if I say to a young player, what's your weapon? And they say, it's my left foot step. Sweet. I want you to be the best left foot stepper in the game. Um, What's your work on? What do you think you could add to your game that would make you better? If I got my body in front, better in defence, I'd be a better defender. Sweet. We'll work on that. So for me, Andy Friend, I would say... What's my weapon? It's my relationship building. What's my work on? It's my ongoing capacity or, or ability to balance, get life balance in, in what it is that I do. And I believe I've worked really hard on that and I'm getting there. So I reckon that's first and foremost, That's I reckon that's paramount. Know what you're good at and then try and be the best you can and have one or two things to work on. And once you master that, look at the next one or two things to work on, but keep working on that weapon and make that the sharpest thing you can.
1: It's interesting, Andy, because listening to you, I've never experienced playing for you, but it sounds like you've got great balance in your life and you would be a great role model for people in that area because so many people struggle with that. But also there's a lot of pressure on coaches and people in business and in all facets of life to be always on, always available. It must be hard to actually hold that line and say, no, no, I'm off the clock now and I'm going to do my own thing. Is there any advice or learnings or something you can share with us in in being strong when it comes to
2: defining that line? Yeah, well, the easiest thing is turn your phone off. Just turn the bloody thing off because no one can contact you. But again, it's a, it's a personal discipline. And we say to our players the whole time, we want you to be disciplined. But if we don't show the same sort of discipline, well, we're not walking the talk. So for me, most – well, our staff and players – know that anything after 7 o'clock, don't try and contact Friendy. And if they do, they normally ring and they're like, really sorry, to, like I know it's urgent. I don't, I don't turn my phone off because there's that understanding that after 7 o'clock no one's going to contact me, it's my time. And I, I suppose that's just getting that message out there. We, again, we have probably like every other team, you've got a lot of WhatsApp groups come through. But we're really strong on don't send anything out after 8 o'clock because I don't want people watching their phone. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to see it after 7 o'clock. So don't send it out and expect me to get a response in the morning. You're not going to get it. Don't send me an email. In fact, don't send me an email after 5 o'clock because I'm not going to look at it and I will be on the phone, but anything after 7 o'clock, I'm just not going to look at it. So pretty simple and clear around what the expectations are. It's amazing once people know that, how we adapt and how they adapt and they just don't send you anything or they get their work done earlier when they know you're going to be on. So we don't make a big song or dance, but it's pretty much as simple as that.
1: Ever had feedback from your boss that it's not acceptable?
2: No. No, I haven't. Certainly my current boss, no, Willie, Willie's fine with that. And I think he understands that too. Like he knows when we're on, we're on normally on from about 7 o'clock in the morning to about 7 o'clock at night. So it's a good 12-hour day. So I don't think he's going to expect me to, to work longer than that.
1: Fair enough. Andy, just a couple more questions I know before before you run off. And, and I'd like to just talk about curiosity. And I'd like to ask you, how important do you think it is a sense of curiosity for an elite level coach? Is it highly important and nice to have or something you should always be driving to have more of?
2: Oh, I think it's it's essential. I think if you start to become become comfortable with what it is you're doing and what you think you're, you know, you fall behind very, very quickly. So to me, curiosity is everything. I'll read, I'll listen, I'll watch, um, I'll engage with as many people as I can just to see what it is that they're doing and again when i'm listening i reckon this is the next key to it when you're listening to something don't prejudge it don't be saying yeah but I, oh, I do that just listen to it listen to it let it soak in and and at the end of it then reflect upon that so i think curiosity is super super important and i think we never stop learning and as soon as you think you know it all you're gone
1: you talked about the matthew walker book but has there been anything else recently that's really caught your attention and you thought was a good resource
2: Yeah, the Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I thought was a brilliant book. Matthew Syed's books, I find him fascinating, Rebel Ideas and Black Box Thinking. I recently read The the Chimp Paradox a year or so ago, The Chimp Paradox, which I thought was just a fascinating insight into the way we as humans think and how our brain works and from a foundational point of view of everything around yourself and how you think that with the Stephen Covey book to me, probably been the two best reads I've done in the last two years, three years.
1: Great. We'll check them out. And Andy, just one final question, if we can. You've said that you want to be the type of coach who is able to allow others to express themselves. Talk about what they are seeing and thinking. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind as a coach?
2: I'd love the legacy. Well, first and foremost, wherever you go, I believe you should leave the the club in a better place than what you found it. So that to me is is an ongoing legacy when, if I turn up to a club, I want to say, well, the minute I walked in the door, the minute I left, it's in a better place now. So that's one, but as an overarching legacy with the players that I work with, I would love for them to say, I trusted him. He was honest with me and he had, and he cared about me and he wanted the best thing for me as a bloke, as well as as a footballer or as a staff member, as well as, as an employee. And if, if I could do that, and I'd be pretty
1: happy man. Andy Friend, it's been great chatting with you today, some wonderful insights so I wish you all the best for the the season debrief, hope you get a good break and uh, have more success
2: uh, next season. Good on you Paul, appreciate it, thank
0: you. Hi everyone it's Jim here, you've been listening to the great coach Andy Friend some of the key highlights for me were how his upbringing as an expat child allowed him to enter a new team without prejudgment and helped him take the right amount of time immerse himself in the new team culture to understand it his approach to maintaining life balance and making sure that there is time each day where he connects and focuses on himself his view on learning from failure being a critical driver of the success of your life and how he focuses on the three types of errors with his team skill knowledge and attitude and wanting to leave a legacy where athletes say that they trusted him because he was honest with them and cared for them beyond their ability just to be an athlete. I hope you enjoyed this as much as Paul and I did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please connect with us and let us know. Just like Gavin Sweet from South Africa who left us this review. An excellent podcast, great advice and understanding of leadership. And Lisa in Australia who wrote, loved it inspiring and thought provoking thank you for sharing after she listened to our chat with surfing coach andy king thank you gavin thank you lisa so much for those comments it's interaction with people like this from around the world who listen that give paul and i great energy all the details on how you can connect with us and other people who are interested in the leadership insights from great sports coaches are in the show notes